All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at any of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. Last weekend, we launched online church, which means that you can now watch Eaglebrook messages and the worship live at 9 and at 11. And I wanted to let you know that last weekend, we had over 4,000 users who were tuned in with us live on Sunday morning. That's not including people who watched later in the week on demand. That's just those who are live. And by users, I mean computers. Basically, you might have five people around a computer, but we just see it as one or 10 people around a TV screen. Well over 4,000 users, and they came from all around the country and world. 42 of the 50 states were represented in people who are tuned in with us last weekend. 18 different, yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you what, though, I want to find out what those eight states were that weren't logged in with us. I really do. That's like my goal for the next year. Uh, 18 different countries were with us last weekend, from places like Brazil to New Zealand to Afghanistan, Kenya to Spain, all throughout the world who were tuned in. And so, first of all, I just want to say thank you to those of you who gave. To those of you who give to this church and support the ministry, just think about how your financial resources are helping people all throughout the country and world grow in their faith and come to know Jesus Christ. I wish you could see the emails of people who emailed in last weekend and said, boy, I am so grateful to have this connection to my church. And so just want to thank you for that. I hope you feel encouraged in that. And I also want to welcome those of you who are watching in 42 states, potentially, in 18 different countries this morning who are joining with us live. Hey, it's Father's Day weekend. And I had a great dad, and many of you get to celebrate a great father today. Others of you say, you know, I, I don't have a real good relationship with my dad. I haven't seen my father in years, or maybe for some of you, your dad has passed away. And so I always like to remind people this time of year that Psalm 68, verse 5, says that God is a father to the fatherless which means that no matter what your relationship is like with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who loves us, who cheers for us. Even if you didn't feel encouraged and cheered for growing up, you have a heavenly father who is cheering for you, who protects us. And so I want to wish all of you a happy Father's Day. Today we are continuing on in our series called From the Ground Up, where we've been looking at how God can use ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And specifically, we've been looking at a guy named Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Now, if you're just jumping in midway through this series, let me try to get you caught up a little bit. The year is 444 BC, and Nehemiah is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. A cupbearer was someone who, among other things, would taste the king's wine to see if it was poisoned or not. And there's been some debate among scholars whether or not this was a good job. Doesn't seem like a great job to me. It's not one I would apply for personally, but, you know, that's what he was doing. And so he was living with this foreign king in Persia when all of a sudden his brother comes from Jerusalem, which is Nehemiah's homeland. And so naturally, Nehemiah wants to know, hey, what, what's going on back home? And Nehemiah's brother is like, it's not good. The walls are down. The people are vulnerable. It's embarrassing to God. And nobody can do anything about it. And all of a sudden, this very ordinary man, Nehemiah, gets an extraordinary burden. 
so much so that it moves him to tears. He asks the king for permission to go back to his homeland to rebuild the walls around the city. And miraculously, the king says yes. And so Nehemiah goes 800 miles back to his hometown of Jerusalem. And he tells the people, I believe that God can use us to rebuild these walls. Now, never mind the fact that Nehemiah is not a builder. Never mind the fact that the walls have been down for almost 200 years. Nehemiah believes that God can do the impossible. And so he starts leading people to rebuild these walls. But here's the problem. Anytime you start to accomplish something significant in life, anytime you start to do something significant for God, there is going to be opposition. Anytime you lead something, there's going to be someone else who's going to criticize you. Last month, my son Micah was playing in a baseball tournament down in Woodbury. And we live pretty far from Woodbury. We're about a 45-minute, 50-minute drive to get out there. And I woke up that morning, and it was raining. So I looked at my phone, and the weather forecast said, rain all day. But when I went and looked at this tournament schedule, it said, game on. And so I told my wife, I said, this is crazy. I said, you mark my words, we're going to drive 50 minutes to get out there. And all of a sudden, they're going to tell us games are canceled. But I had no choice. So I got in the car. I drove 50 minutes to get there, sat in the car for 10 minutes. And they came out and said, guess what? All the games are canceled for today. So to try to make lemonade out of lemons, Mike and I went to IHOP for breakfast together. And as we sat down, the woman across the aisle was with her son. And she must have noticed Micah's uniform. Because right away she goes, oh, did you guys get your game in this morning? I said, no. And then I just started to rant. I'm like, I drove 50 minutes to get out here. And then I sat in the car for 10 minutes. And I said, you know, someone told me that there's four guys on the board who make these decisions. I said, this is not 1940. We all have a weather app on our phone that shows us the radar. Why can't these four guys figure that out? And I swear, she was nodding in agreement with me. So I just kept going. <laughs> I said, when I was at the concession stand, somebody told me that one of these four guys wanted to keep playing in this rain. I said, what is wrong with these people? She goes, that's probably my husband. He's one of the four guys on that board. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Can you remove your foot from your mouth, please? I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding me right now. Like, what are the odds of this happening? <laughs> and when we got to the car, my son Micah was dying of laughter. <laughs> he said, Dad, you should have seen yourself try to backtrack out of that. Because... Right away, I'm like, you know, and you can't predict the rain, and it's unpredictable, and you know, the kids want to play. I get that. You don't want to give refunds because the association needs the money, and I'm just digging out of this hole as fast as I could go. Now, here's what's funny about this. I've never planned a tournament like that in my life. I don't know anything about it. I was just ticked because I was personally inconvenienced. And the truth is, that's what happens whenever you lead anything. There's someone who's not going to be happy. There's someone who's going to criticize you. And by the way, every single one of us here today, you lead something. 
One author says this, he says, the art of leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they can stand. (laughs) Isn't that true? The art of leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they can stand because you know you're going to disappoint them. You know that someone's not going to be happy. Whenever you try to do something significant for God, opposition will always follow. Just bank on it. In fact, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. Often we don't face opposition when we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. I see this all the time. Let's say you have the goal of losing 10 pounds and you're doing it. I mean, you're down nine pounds, even though Dairy Queen has the cotton candy blizzard as the blizzard of the month. You're like, no, no, I'm going to make this goal. And then you are on the way to the gym when your car breaks down and you realize you don't have your cell phone on you. So you have to go into the nearest store to make a phone call and it just happens to be Dunkin' Donuts. And they've got a deal on a donut called the jelly stick. Buy one, get 22 for free. And (laughs) that's quite the deal. And, And you look it up and you realize just one of those donuts has 420 calories, 18 grams of fat, and 20 grams of sugar. So quickly you go on calorieking.com to find out how long would it take me to work off one of these jelly stick donuts. And you discover you're going to have to walk for 115 minutes just to work off one donut. But then you look at your car, which is broken down. You're like, I might be walking. Let's do this. And that's often how it is. The moment you get close to the goal, the moment you get close to accomplishing it, that's when the opposition comes. Some of you today say, you know what? I I have a goal. I would like to build up my relationship with God. I would like to grow spiritually this year. But the moment you start moving towards that, you have friends or family members who say, oh, were you getting all religious now? And there's opposition in your life. Or you want to start coming to church on a regular basis and then your kids get sick or you have something physically happen and you're not able to come and it's opposition. Or you say, you know what, I want to rebuild my marriage this year. And so you take some steps like you start going to counseling. And immediately after that, you guys get in the biggest fight you've ever been in in your life. It's opposition. Let me ask you, where do you sense opposition in your life right now? Sometimes we don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. Sometimes we face opposition when we're doing something right. Some of you say, well, that's really good news because I must be doing a lot of things right. I have a lot of opposition in my life right now. And the truth is, why would your spiritual enemy oppose you if you weren't doing something right? I mean, that's what gets his attention. When you're not doing anything right, it's, well, just let them keep doing what they're doing. It's oftentimes when you're doing something right that you face opposition in your life. Oftentimes the opposition comes not when we are doing something wrong. It's when we're doing something right. And this is where a lot of Christians get confused because they think, you know what? When I put my faith in Christ, it's just going to be smooth sailing after that. And it's not true. Look at what Jesus says about this. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. Nehemiah experienced this. 
Nehemiah was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And right as he's getting close to finishing, that's when the opposition comes. In fact, in this story of Nehemiah, I see three strategies that your enemy will try to use to oppose you. And some of you are going to hear one of these strategies and you are just going to resonate right away. You're going to go, that is me right now. That is the opposition I am facing in my life. And so my prayer for you today is that God would give you the clarity and the strength to overcome the opposition and continue to build what God has called you to build. Here's the first strategy of opposition that some of you might be facing right now. Your enemy will try to discourage you. Let's pick things up in Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. It says this, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that the Jews were rebuilding the wall. Now, who is this guy named Sanballat? Besides having a crazy name, don't name your kid Sanballat, by the way. He was the governor of Samaria. And so he was going to lose some political power if Jerusalem became strong again. In other words, he has an ulterior motive for why he's so angry about this. Says that he flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. This is the Old Testament version of trash talking. Okay? We might do your mama jokes or something like that. They do fox on the wall jokes, and then they're high-fiving each other. And what are they trying to do here? They're trying to discourage Nehemiah. I want you to notice that Sambalat is hanging out with this guy named Tobiah. It's because oftentimes critics run with critics. Critics tend to feel a certain insecurity, and so they want other critics surrounding them. And the problem with a critic is that oftentimes they never pause to consider that maybe what they're criticizing is actually a movement of God. Can't think about that. All Sanballat can think about is his own position, his own power, his own prestige. In fact, how easy would it have been for Nehemiah to just quit at this point? How easy would it have been for him to go, you know what, God's not in this, it's not working, and a really important person like Sanballat thinks so been so easy to quit. And there are some of you here today who you have part of your life where you go, oh, I am so close to quitting. Some of us say, you know what? I am so close to quitting my marriage. I mean, other people are telling me I I should do it. and, And I'm just so sick of the fighting and the drama. I am so close to quitting. There are some of you here who have a dream that God has put on your heart. And you want to build something with your life. But you're so close to quitting because of another person or discouragement that's begun to set in. And here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you quitting because it's the right thing to do? Or are you quitting because it's the easiest thing to do? Nehemiah knew that he couldn't quit building this wall. That even when people like Sanballat said, you know what, you don't have what it takes. He was going to finish what he started. My son, Micah, when he was just seven years old, was participating in this fun run for an organization called Healing Haiti. And the way it worked was you'd go to family members and friends and you would ask them if they could sponsor you per lap that you ran. 
And so Micah's got, you know, $5 per lap from most of his family and friends, probably thinking he'd run five laps and they were making a $25 donation. What they didn't realize was Micah wasn't running the fun run for fun. He was in it to win it. And so the bell goes off and he just takes off. He runs five laps, 10 laps, 15 laps, 20 laps. At this point, every other kid has stopped running. They're over having goldfish and snacks. He's running by himself around this track. He keeps going 25 laps, 30 laps. At this point, everybody's gone home. Like they've all left for the day. He's still going around this track. He ran 42 laps at the age of seven. If I tried to do that, I'd die, right? Someone told me this is the equivalent of eight miles. He didn't train for this. He didn't build up to this. He was just determined. Afterwards, he told my wife, he said, Mom, the reason why I kept going was because before the race, I said to you that I was going to run 20 laps. And you said, oh, sweetie, you can't run 20 laps. Don't, don't try to do that. So he doubled her up and added two for good measure. <laughs> I love that. I know some people who quit at the drop of a hat. That the moment adversity comes, the moment an important person in their life, a sandblet, usually their mom or their dad or their mother-in-law, or some other important person tells them, well, you, you can't do that. They just quit. Quit the dream that God had put on them. Quit their job or their school or their church. They just quit and they go, you know what? I guess I don't have what it takes. Nehemiah didn't do that. He was a finisher and no amount of discouragement was going to change that. Maybe today you say, you know what, I'm really excited about doing something for God. Maybe, maybe you love kids and you go, you know what, I want to adopt or I want to do foster care. But then the moment you mention that to your family members, they make some snide comment about how you can't even take care of the two kids you got. Sure you want to do that? And it's sand bullet all over again. And discouragement starts to set in. Or maybe you feel like you should leave this high-paying job and take another job that you're more passionate about and has more purpose to you. But the moment you tell your friends about this, they're like, what are you smoking? Yeah, that's a dumb decision. And it's sandbullet all over again. Now, before I go any further, I need to make a very important qualification. Sometimes when another person criticizes you, they're right. I realize that for some of you, your mind just went... You're like, wait a minute, they're right and I'm wrong? Yes, occasionally it happens that the other person is right and you're wrong. And so you have to have discernment to go, is this a criticism that I should listen to and make some changes from? Or is this a criticism that I should dismiss? Even when Nehemiah dismissed his critics, he never just flippantly said things like, oh, the haters. That's what I hear celebrities and people say today. Oh, they're just a bunch of haters. Here's what Nehemiah did instead. Verse four. It says this. Then I prayed. Not then I sent out an angry email. Not then I rehearsed my comeback in my head so I could just zing them. 
Not then I said, you know, haters are going to hate like that. He said, then I prayed. And I get a kick out of his prayer because I'm not even sure you can pray this way sometimes. But he says, hear, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. I love that. Just stick it to them, God. Just stick it to them. And this isn't karma. This is a man who believes that God is going to vindicate him. He believes that God is going to fight for him. And so Nehemiah simply gets back to work. He says, hand me another brick. He does not let discouragement stop him from building what God called him to build. Here's the second strategy that your enemy might use in your life. Your enemy will try to distract you. He'll try to discourage you. And if that doesn't work, he may try to distract you. Let's look at Nehemiah 6 verse 1. It says this. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall. In other words, at this point, they're very close. All they need is to get a couple gates up and they're done. He says, they sent a message to me to meet them at one of the villages in the plains of Ono. It says, but I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending them this message. I am doing a great work. I cannot stop to come down and meet with you. So Nehemiah has almost completed it. And that's when Sanballat and Tobiah try to distract him when he needs to be the most focused. They send him a meeting request for the plains of Ono. And Nehemiah says to them, oh, no, can't meet you on the plains of Ono. And this is a phrase that some of you need to be reminded of. Oh, no. Oh, no, I can't go there. Oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, no, I can't hang out with them. Oh, no, I can't go out with them or purchase that or download that. Oh, no. You might even want to say it with a little bit of attitude, like, oh, no, like that if you want to. Don't say haters going to hate, but you can say, oh, no, if you want to. And I love Nehemiah's response here. He says, I am doing a great work. Can't come down to meet with you. In other words, I know what God has called me to do. And it's not meeting with you on the plains of Ono. I was sitting around with some friends recently, and one of them asked this question. He said, since you've had kids, what have you had to give up? And one guy said, fantasy football. Just don't have time for that. And another guy said, the news. I used to watch the news. Now I just really don't. I said, for us, it's movies. My wife and I have seen one movie, Hidden Figures, in like the last two years without our kids. It's just something we've kind of had to give up. And basically what we were saying was this. I'm sorry, can't come down right now. I'm doing a good work right where I am. I'm not just putting food on the table. I'm raising up the next generation of leaders, fathers, husbands, wives, and mothers. One of my kids might be a future teacher. CEO, pastor, politician, civic leader, or nonprofit director. God might want to do something extraordinary through the life of my kids. So I'm sorry, can't come down right now for fantasy football. Now, understand, I do fantasy football, okay? So this is going to be different for everyone. But let me ask you, where in your life do you just sense that you need to say no? No, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to do that because I need to be focused on this. 
Here's a phrase that I hope that you'll remember. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Because sometimes the most enticing opposition are actually good things. But they distract us from the most important thing. For example, for years, people have asked us, why don't you start a school at Eaglebrook? I mean, that would be a really good thing. You guys should start a school. And that would be a good thing, except for the fact that our mission is to reach people for Christ. And a school would pull us off of that mission. We've looked at churches that also do schools. And oftentimes they don't do church all that well. Because they're so distracted by the administrative duties of the school. And so we just say, you know what? Can't come down. We're doing a great work right where we are. I've been asked to be on boards, to speak at business luncheons, to come to ecumenical prayer breakfasts. And those are good things. But I got a message to write. And so I just say, you know what? I'm doing a great work right where I am. My wife has been invited to speak at MOPS, lead things at BSF, to counsel couples. And sometimes she says yes to those. But other times she says, you know what? I'm raising four kids. I'm doing a great work right where I am. Maybe someday, but not today. My son Hudson is in third grade. He's also playing baseball this spring. And recently he had a tournament where his first game was at eight in the morning and his second game was at two in the afternoon. So there was a huge gap in between. And the rest of his team had planned an outing to the bowling alley, which sounded fun. And I felt a certain amount of social pressure to say yes. I didn't want to be antisocial. I didn't want to come across that I didn't care about the team. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I only get so many opportunities to spend one-on-one -on -one time with one of my kids. And I'm with these parents at every game, sitting next to them. I can talk to them anytime I want. And my son is in third grade, and it's a fourth grade team. He won't even be able to play on this team next year. And so the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I just need to say, oh, no, sorry. I plan to take Hudson to the Mall of America in between games. And so I did. We went to the Mall of America, and we went on this one roller coaster that seats four people, two people here, two people here facing one another. And while it goes on the roller coaster, it spins like a teacup. And the whole time I kept thinking, if ever there was a ride that was just going to slip off the track, it's going to be this one. So the entire time, Hudson's like, yay, and I'm just white knuckle gripping it, felt like I was going to die. And I paid $18 to feel that way. <laughs> we then went to the food court and had Chinese food that had so much MSG in it, it could have killed a water buffalo. <laughs> just comatose the rest of the afternoon. But we had a blast. And as we were leaving the Mall of America, Hudson, who has these big blue eyes and this soft little smile, hugged me in the middle of the Mall of America. And he goes, thank you, Dad. That was so much fun. And when we got home and drove, pulled into the driveway, I grabbed him in a hug and I said, you have no idea how much I love you. But it all started with an oh no. Sorry, can't. Doing a great work right where I am. And this doesn't just apply to kids. That happens to be the season of life that I'm in. But maybe God has called you to build something right now. Maybe it's to finish school. Oh no, sorry, can't come out tonight. I've got to study. I'm doing a great work right where I am. Maybe God's called you to build up your financial situation and your savings. Oh no, 
Sorry, I can't come out to lunch with you guys today. I brought my own. I'm doing a good work right where I am. Some of you need to internalize this. You have become distracted. You have become distracted from the direction that God wants to take your life. Don't let the opposition of distraction stop you from building what God has called you to build. Here is the third strategy that your enemy might use. Your enemy will try to discredit you. They'll try to discourage, they'll try to distract, and then they may try to discredit you. So after Nehemiah says, no, can't meet with you, Sambalet and Tobiah send him what's called an open letter. And an open letter was an unsealed letter. It was meant to be read in public, kind of like a blog post today. And here's what this letter said. It said, Geshem tells me that everywhere he goes, he hears that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that's why you're building the wall. Well, that wasn't true at all. He goes on, he says, according to his reports, you plan to be their king. Now, notice how Sanballat phrases this. He says, everywhere he goes, he hears. Ever heard something like that before? Everyone's saying. Everyone's going to. When I was a youth pastor one time, I had a parent come up to me, and basically what he said was this. If you don't do what I want you to do, everyone's going to leave the youth ministry next week. You're going to be standing here by yourself. And I just knew that what he wanted me to do was not the right decision. And so I politely said, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. The next week, his kid wasn't there. His kid's best friend wasn't there. And we were up in attendance by 10. We actually grew that week and we grew again the week after that. And I learned something very important that day, that oftentimes when people say, well, everyone's saying everyone's going to, that's a tactic to try to bully you into doing what they want you to do. That's what Sambalet is doing to Nehemiah. He's trying to bully him by spreading rumors. Ever had somebody spread rumors about you? If you're in middle school, you're like, last Friday at lunch, that happened. If you're in high school, you're like, yeah, last night, people were texting back and forth something about me that wasn't true. And even if you're not in that stage of life, you're going, absolutely. Somebody at work said something about me that just was not true. And there's a sense of you get all hot and bothered by that. But here's what I want to remind you of today. You don't answer to your critics. You answer to God. Isn't that good news? You don't answer to your critics. You're not going to stand before them one day and give an account of your life. But you are going to stand before God. And so we don't live our lives to please our critics. We live our life to please God. We don't make decisions based on what the critics tell us to do. We make decisions based on what God tells us to do. And so Nehemiah simply says it's not true, and he gets back to work. But then I love how he gets back to work. Look at this. It says, we all return to our work on the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So really what they had is most scholars think they had like a trowel in one hand. And this is a building tool. You spread concrete and you lay brick with this. This is what they were holding in one hand. And then in their other hand, they had a sword. That was cool, huh? I'm contemplating having this behind the plasma every message that I give. Just in case, you never know. 
But I want you to picture this. With one hand, they're standing along the wall and they're building what God has called them to build. But then with the other hand, they're ready to fight and to protect what God has called them to build. And the same is true for us. If you want to build up some savings, well, then you better fight overspending and impulse buying. If you want to build up some godly friendships, some of you go, man, my friends, they just, they pull me away from God. And it's not a good environment for me when I'm hanging out with them. And I just wish I had some different friends who could build me up in my faith. Well, you better fight your insecurities. Sign up for a small group. Take a risk. Send someone a text message and say, hey, you want to get together for lunch? I just, I want to meet someone, talk to someone who can help me in my faith. You better fight for those friendships. If you're a parent and you want to build your kids up and you want to build a family, well, then you better be willing to fight in this society for them. Don't let them learn about the birds and the bees on Snapchat. Now, am I saying that if you have teenagers... Am I giving you permission to take their phone and just chop it up with a sword? Sure, go ahead. I think I would feel great. Most parents of teenagers are like, oh, that would be awesome, right? No, you can't do that because, and here's why. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that our weapons are not swords. They're not guns. Our weapon is prayer. We pray for our kids. You may have a teenager and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm losing touch with them and, and I'm worried about some of the things that they're involved in. One of the things I would say to you is you got to pray for them. You got to fight for them and pray for them on a daily basis. Some of us are struggling with depression. You need to use the word of God and memorize a verse like Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you need to begin to fight for your joy. You need to use the word of God if you're struggling with anxiety. You need to memorize a verse. Like do not be anxious about anything, but do everything with prayer and petition. And you begin to fight against that anxiety. So let me ask you, what has God called you to build? You got to get crystal clear on that. And then what is the opposition that you are facing in your life right now? Some of you say it's discouragement. Some of you say I'm distracted. Some of you say it's another person who's trying to discredit me. But whoever that opposition is, I want you to talk about that on the car ride home today. Just name it out loud. And then you got to have a strategy. A strategy that says, you know what? I'm going to keep building what God's called me to build. And then I'm going to fight to protect what God has called me to build. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the message that it's Father's Day. And so if you would, for just a moment, I would love to ask all the fathers to just stand up where you are at all of our campuses. I know some of the dads are like, oh, God, what are you going to do? But I, I promise this will be this will be fun. Yeah, go ahead. You know, as you can tell, dads, there's a lot of people in this church who are very proud of you. And one of the things I wanted to say to all of you today, whether you're an expecting father or a father or what your relationship is like with your kids, is that we're so proud of you for being in church. I mean, there's something today that made you say, you know what, I want to get up. I want to know God. I want to be a man of God. I want to have integrity and character. 
And there's kind of an epidemic in our culture today of men who say, I don't need that. And it's really just pride. And so we're proud of every single one of you who humbly said, you know what, Jesus, I, I wanna know you more in my life. And I'm telling you, your kids notice this. I don't care if your kids are grown up and moved out of the house, they notice that my dad, he wants to know God and he makes it a priority in his life. And I also want you to know that there are some things you're gonna have to fight for. You know, maybe you've blown it with your son or your daughter. And that relationship's been fractured a little bit. I want you to hear today that forgiveness is possible for you. That God can forgive you. Not one of us is perfect. We all have flaws and, and things that we have done to hurt our kids. But through Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness that's possible. And so you fight for that relationship. You make that apology. You send that text or that phone call. You do what you can do to fight for your son or your daughter. And for all of us, you know, every day your son or your daughter goes to school or goes to work or however old they are, and they get beat up a little. And they get criticized and, and they get made fun of and, and things happen to them in their life. And what they need more than anything else is their dad who says, I love you, I'm cheering for you, I'm proud of you, you have what it takes. Every single one of us dads can say that to our son or our daughter this week. So dads, we value you, we're proud of you, we wanna pray for you, because God has called you to build something and God has called you to fight to protect what he's called you to build. And so at all of our campuses, can we all stand for just a moment and close in prayer? God, I thank you for every dad who's here today who leads their family to church and who makes that a priority. God, I pray that your hand would be upon them, God, that you would bless them and you would honor them for their obedience and that their spouses and their kids would, would see that they truly do desire to know you. God, I pray for every man and woman who's here who's been called to build something. And there's something you've put on their heart to build. Maybe it's a family, maybe it's a school, maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a life of walking with you. But whatever it is, God, they've been called to build something. Lord, I pray against the opposition. I pray that they would not let the opposition cause them to quit, but they would push through. God, give them the strength and the clarity to do that, God, to keep building what you have called each of them to build. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everyone.